Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. I'm Elizabeth Carmel, and my new cookbook is Steak and Cake, More Than 100 Recipes to Make Any Meal a Smash Hit. It was so nice meeting you at your book party last month here in New York City. The food was incredible, the crowd was incredible, and I had such a great time tasting so many things out of this amazing cookbook. So this cookbook is an offshoot of your steak and cake classes at the Institute of Culinary Education. What we're all thinking is why steak and cake? Usually it's steak and potatoes or steak and lobster. So, you know, it's interesting. This book did grow from the class that I taught at the Institute of Culinary Education. And the way that I came up with the idea for the class, and it was a recreational class, so I was teaching home cooks, I was not teaching professional um, students, is that I thought I was teaching rec classes on Friday, Saturday, and Sundays. And I thought, you know what, I want to come up with an idea for Saturday night that is, number one, going to be a fun class and a fun evening out. And number two is going to give people real tips and techniques and tools to go home with so they can cook better at home. And I thought to myself, what's everyone's favorite Saturday night meal? Steak and cake. Steak and a slice of chocolate cake or carrot cake or whatever your favorite cake is. And, um, and so I thought, that's it. That's going to be my class, steak and cake. And, uh, and so I, you know, wrote it up and it was a huge success. It had a long waiting list and I taught it for many, many years and much of the same, um, menu is that I taught during that class is actually in this book. And of course it's widely expanded, but the reason that I turned it into a book is this is going to sound really cheesy, but this is a hundred percent true, you know, People, my, people would come into the class, the hands-on classes are 16 people, and I would gather them around one of the work tables before we started, and everyone would go around in a circle and introduce themselves and tell me why they signed up for this class, because I really wanted to know personally, but also I wanted to make sure that anything they wanted to learn, that I, I taught them, even if it was a little bit off the curriculum. And so um, in doing that, you know, people were really kind of anxious and their body language was very closed and, you know, they were really nervous. They had never made a steak. They had never baked a cake before. They didn't even know how to buy a steak. And, um, And so by the end of four hours after they had made their own steak, baked their cake, ate it, and, you know, declared everything delicious, they literally were walking taller they were smiling. They were sending me pictures of what they were making at home, you know, steaks and cakes. And I thought, you know what? I can't believe a class like this, I could visibly see people's self-esteem rising. And it was so gratifying to me that I thought, you know what? I need to turn this into a book. So Steak and Cake is also full of recipes from your friends and family. For example, the POTUS carrot cake originated with your cousin, Carol, who was Gerald Ford's chef. Tell me about that carrot cake. That carrot cake, um, she would make for family functions. And, um, and my mother, you know, my mother had it uh, first before I had it. And she said, Elizabeth, this cake, this carrot cake is so delicious you have to try it. And I said, well, get me the recipe. And uh, 
the truth of the story uh, is that my cousin would not give my mother the recipe, but my mother got it from um, uh, my aunt, uh, her sister-in-law, and um, and then gave it to me, and I tried it. And really, the addition of crushed pineapple, which is usually reserved for a hummingbird cake, um, makes all the difference. And then, um, because I can't leave, you know, good enough alone, um, and uh, I'm I'm a much more, you know, packet full of flavor kind of person um, than my cousin Carol. Uh, I added, I added, you know, um, a number of ingredients, uh, to it, but I kept the essence of her carrot cake, which was adding that can of crushed pineapple to it. Um, most of the recipes in the book, um, have, have some kind of inspiration. And I tell that story in the head notes. I mean, one of my favorite, one of my favorite, um, recipes, uh, is my key lime cheesecake. And my sister, Mary Pat, is a fabulous baker. Um, we call her Sticky Fingers or Sticky Pat. Um, <laughs> and oftentimes, you know, she makes three desserts for a, for a function because one, of course, is not enough. And two, it's almost sad. And so three is like the perfect number of, of homemade desserts for a function. And um, she is famous for her key lime pie. And key lime pie, of course, is a, you know, is a steakhouse favorite. But since this book was about steak and cake, I couldn't have a key lime pie recipe in here. So I took sort of the best of her key lime pie recipe, which I think is her pecan and graham cracker crust, and I turned it into a cheesecake. And, um, and I love it. And then, you know, I upped the ante by making a key lime uh, curd that I put on the top, which is optional. You don't have to do it, but if you really like that tart key lime flavor, um, you can you can do that. And so she never made the recipe until the book was out. And now that the book has been out, she's made it four times. She's making it again for Father's Day because key lime pie is her husband's favorite dessert. And now this is sort of, you know, shuffled in um, to take over the key lime pie. And the other day I was talking to her and she goes, I don't know if I've told you yet, but I just love that recipe. That recipe is so great. And that's so gratifying to me because I was, you know, kind of giving a nod to her key lime um, pie in here. And now that she's making the cheesecake instead of her key lime pie, you know, that really makes me happy. How did you determine the pairings like the porterhouse for two with the My Mother's Freshly Grated Coconut Cake? The truth of the matter is when I started out to write this book, I ended up writing two single subject books, one on steak and one on cake. And um, I got so excited about steak and cake uh, because this really is a passion project for me that I created twice as many recipes as we could print. And so at the end of the day, what happened is all the recipes that I created to balance out the book. So my editor, Suzanne Rafer, in her wisdom, she said, you know what? I don't care if this book is balanced. I just want your favorite. And so all of my favorites, many things that I grew up with, like my mother's fresh grated coconut cake, are the, are the recipes that, that made the cut. And so once I had the recipes that made the cut, in terms of creating pairings, I wanted to make sure that it was balanced and uh, so that if it was a really rich 
steak, maybe the cake wasn't quite as rich or vice versa. If the cake was really rich, you know, the steak was maybe a little bit plainer. You say the best steaks are cooked simply. What are your two methods? That is something that when I sat down to write this book, I realized there are really only three, I think there are three essential ways to cook a steak. There are two main ways and then one sort of newfangled way. And um, an outdoor grill, uh, a cast iron skillet, and then the newfangled way is to sous vide your steak the day before you want to serve it. Um, you can do it in the morning too, but I like to do it the day before you serve it. Then let it rest all day, refrigerate it, and right before serving, coat it with a little bit of olive oil, season it, and then um, either uh, char it on the grill or give it you know, a great crust on a cast iron skillet. Describe how you sous vide for people who aren't familiar with it. Okay. I'm so glad you asked me that question because people, home cooks are a little afraid of sous videing, but sous videing is actually easier than cooking. And today there are lots of um, op- choices of you know, sous vide circulators that you can purchase. My favorite one happens to be made by a company called Chef Steps, and it's called Jewel, J-O-U-L-E. And the reason I like it is it is probably no longer than 12 inches, so it's very portable. It has a magnet at the bottom so that you can sous vide in a Dutch oven or in any kind of pan that's magnetized, and um, you don't have to buy a big plastic Cambro, which you used to have to buy this like big plastic tub um, back in the early days of sous videing. And um, so, you know, now to actually answer your question, sous vide basically means that you are cooking food with, by um, letting it uh, sit in circulating warm water. And essentially the water is set at the temperature that you want the internal temperature of the meat to be. So for example, if I, I sous vide a tomahawk steak, that's my favorite way to make it. That's what's pictured on the cover of, the, um, of my book. And um, I love cooking a tomahawk steak because it's full of drama. It's a long bone-in ribeye, that's all it is, and one tomahawk steak can feed 10 people. But, I mean, there's nothing like the presentation of a tomahawk steak. And so the day before, I buy it from a butcher already vacuum-sealed, and I put it in a large Dutch oven with my sous vide circulator at, set at 142 degrees, and, um, and then, that, then it cooks for about four hours. And I take it out and cool it and then put it in the refrigerator and let it rest overnight, refrigerated. And then right before I'm about to serve it, I brush it with olive oil all over because I um, have a mantra, oil the food, not the grapes. And that goes for if you're cooking indoors too, but it came from my outdoor cooking experience. And that will keep all the juices inside. It'll promote caramelization and it'll help prevent sticking um, or stickage as I call it. And, uh, and so it is just the most delicious way to make meat for a crowd because it cooks at the same temperature from end to end. So, you know, if you cook a beef tenderloin, for example, the ends of that tenderloin, which are thinner, are generally more well done than the center. 
Yeah. And that's true with a lot of steaks and everything. With sous vide cooking, it's exactly the same temperature from end to end. When I'm at the butcher, I try to take in the visual clues of freshness. What should we look for when purchasing beef? One of the things that really surprised me in my classes was that people didn't even know how to buy a steak. So because of that, in my book, I put together a whole steak primer. Probably the biggest part of that primer is what I call a steak grid. I have pictures of all the different cuts of steak, and um, I tell you, you know, not only, you know, what muscle group it comes from, if there's another name for it, because across the country, there are different names for, for different steaks. But I also came up with my version of tasting notes. When I first set out to do this, I wanted to create tasting notes, much like we create for wine or spirits. And then when I, when I was working on it, I realized that, you know what, we don't have the vocabulary for tasting notes for beef. And so I turned that into texture and flavor intensity. And I also included a guideline as to price because I didn't want somebody to pick a recipe from this book and go to, go to the grocery store or go to the butcher and be shocked at, at what the cost was. And so I give them an idea with dollar signs as to whether it's a $1 sign cut of meat or a, like the tomahawk, a $4 sign cut of meat. And if you don't have a butcher who you trust, who is going to get you a great cut of meat, look for the certified Angus beef seal. The word Angus is probably in 200 brand of beef. So you have to look closely and make sure it says CAB, certified Angus beef. Because what that is, is that's really a quality program of lots and lots of small family ranchers that have gotten together. They have such stringent quality standards that most of the CAB beef that you buy is high choice to low prime, even though it's all graded as choice. In my experience, when I go to you know, an area that I don't have a butcher, if I go to a grocery store that sells CAB meat, then I'm always assured of getting a really great, flavorful um, piece of steak. That's such a good tip if you're a home cook working on a budget and you have to go to the grocery store. Yes, and there are lots of places in America that, you know, don't really have butchers, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, there, there are. I mean, you know, the New York area is, you know, is very butcher-friendly. and um, But, you know, there are a lot of places where, you know, they... The butcher shop of the olden days no longer exists. In the cookbook, you quote Julia Child, a party without a cake is just a meeting. Talk for a moment about your cake tour. Okay. So I couldn't, I couldn't resist that quote, right? I mean, it's been used many, many, many times, but, um, but it's so true. A cake signifies celebration, and a cake is for sharing. And so when I set out to... Um, to start testing the recipes that I had created for this, um, for this book, I thought to myself, well, with a steak recipe, I can, you know, I can make one steak and write the recipe for four steaks. But for a cake, I can't make one slice of cake. I have to make a whole cake. So instead, what I did is I created my steak and cake tour, and I went to five different friends and family houses for a week each, it was great. Every single morning I woke up and I said, what cake shall I bake? Every one of the smash hit cakes of the five different stops 
made it into the book. So once again, the cakes that, you know, people were like, oh, you know what, that's good and that's interesting. Um, those were the ones that, you know, did not make it into the book. But everybody's favorites made it into the book. That's why this book is so eclectic. So barbecue has had a big impact on my life. I grew up in Kansas City. I started my cookbook publicity career at a barbecue and grilling publisher run by a woman who wrote 14 barbecue cookbooks. Then I moved to New York City in the mid-90s, and there weren't any good barbecue places until Hill Country came around, thanks to you. Oh, that's nice. Thank you for saying that. And of course, you must have worked for Karen Alders, right? Karen Adler, yeah. Yes, of course, of course. So, uh, you know, everybody in the barbecue business um, knows knows her and knows, you know, what it was called Pig Out Publications, yep, right? it sure was. Yep, 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 yep. yep. So anyway, um, she was really a pioneer. So, well, that's so sweet of you to say. And I, I think that the reason that you feel that way is that I grew up in North Carolina. Um, I grew up in, on barbecue. And then when I moved away, it was really important to me that if I was going to create a barbecue restaurant, that it was going to be as authentic as it possibly could be in New York City, all the way down to the fact that, you know, Hill Country Barbecue um, is, you know, based on the barbecue of Central Texas. Um, and in C- Central Texas, it's a no-sauce zone. And But I knew in New York City people would want sauce, so I created a... Um, a barbecue sauce using peaches, you know, reminiscent of the hill country of Texas and, and smoky chipotles. And I called it, if you got to have it, because I wanted Texans who, you know, were familiar with central Texas barbecue who came into the restaurant to know that I knew that they didn't, they didn't really use sauce on their barbecue. <laughs> That's funny. It so, was like a so, code. So there you got it. So, the reason that I think you say that there was no good barbecue until Hill Country is because Hill Country was the first restaurant in New York, the first barbecue restaurant to be, you know, created by someone who was a Southerner and who, you know, um, who really had roots in, you know, authentic barbecue. I made your recipe for a classic New York steakhouse strip on page 41 and Barbudo-inspired roasted potatoes on page 181. Why is this steak your favorite cut? Okay, because (laughs) I'm so glad you asked that. Now, first of all, steaks are subjective just like cakes, right? So I happen to love a strip steak because I love the texture of it. I like I like meat that still has a little bit of chew. To me, it's um, on the leaner side. Uh, it's certainly leaner than a ribeye, but it still has enough um, marbling to give it really great flavor. And uh, and so that's why it's my favorite. It literally is my absolute favorite. I love the texture. I love the flavor, and I like to eat it on the rare side of medium rare. We live around the corner from Jonathan Waxman's Barbuda, and we're sad it closed. So these were the potatoes that they served at Barbuda? Well, they're inspired by the potatoes served by Barbuda. I love Barbuda. I was lucky enough to go to the party, the sort of friends and family party that was uh, they had right the two days before they closed. 
And um, I had those potatoes. I had these potatoes no matter whether I went for brunch or for lunch or for dinner every single time I went because there is nothing like a baked potato that has cooled down. You crack it, then you fry it until it's craggy and crispy on all of the edges and then put a little bit of Romano cheese and salt and and uh, rosemary on it. And I don't know what his exact recipe was, but that's um, what I imagined I was eating every single time um, I ate it. And so I, I make them frequently when I um, cook steak for people. And so I had to put them in this book. I also made your chocolate cake on page 230. This was the easiest. The, the one thing I love about this cookbook is your cake recipes are easy. And then I think you have three hard ones, right? I do have some advanced cakes. So I like to say that this book has something from literally for everyone, from tacos to tomahawks and the Tex-Mex chocolate sheet cake, which I think is the easiest cake in the book and very, very satisfying to my mother's fresh grated um, coconut cake, which is a little bit more advanced. For my segment called My Last Meal, what would you have for your last supper? Wow. Um, that, that is a good question. And, um, and I deserve that question because one of, the, one of the pairings in this book is, you know, my brother-in-law's um, last meal, basically. Uh, and, and so I asked him that question, and so I deserve to be asked that question. And it's so hard for me because my favorite thing to eat is really literally whatever I'm cooking right now. But I think that if I had to drill it down, my last meal, um, I think that I would love tomahawk steak with lobster. So I'm going a little rogue from the recipe in the book and um, my mother's fresh grated coconut cake. Where can and we, we got to throw those Barbudo potatoes in there, too. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Thank you, Jonathan. Yes, thank you, Jonathan. Where can we find you on the web and social media? ElizabethCarmel.com. That is connected to my very first website, which is almost 20 years old. That's called Girls at the Grill. Instagram, I'm at Elizabeth Carmel. And on Twitter, I'm at Grill Girl. And Facebook is also Elizabeth Carmel. Let them eat cake and steak. Thanks, Elizabeth, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun to talk about steak and cake, which really is my passion project. Follow Susie Chase on Instagram at Cookery by the Book and subscribe at cookerybythebook.com or in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to Cookery by the Book podcast the only podcast devoted to cookbooks since 2015.